We said it last week because it was January 1st. We'll say it again. Happy New Year. Um, we began a, a series that we'll be in this entire month. It's still in the Gospel of Luke, but it's called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Uh, Mike Holmes, if you didn't listen to it, go back. He did a great job walking us through when the disciples said, Lord, hey, teach us to pray. They caught him praying. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and uh, Mike opened um, uh, Luke 11 up to us, also referring to it in Matthew 6. If you did start our reading plan, you notice like, wait, we read the same thing every day for five days. That was on purpose. It was to practice, put into practice what we began to give our minds to. If we're going to say, Lord, teach us to pray, and that's what he taught us in Luke 11, and that's what he provided also in Matthew 6. And we're going to actually do that now. He said each week during this series, uh, we will spend some time with the Lord's Prayer. As Mike said, uh, is repetition good? Yes and no. Uh, repetition is actually good, especially when it provides a frame. A lot of us nowadays, we have so many options, so many possibilities, what we might read, what we might do, what we might, you know, which which uh, time management plan we're going to use in 2023 that we just don't ever manage anything, right? Because there's so many options. And so sometimes to just have simply the Lord's Prayer, as Mike said, the disciples' prayer is a frame within which we can see our Father, come to our Father, approach Him. And so that side of it is good. In Matthew, if you looked ahead or looked above where you were reading and praying the Lord's Prayer from Matthew's version, you saw also, though, that Repetition, if it's meaningless and empty, is a rote thing, then actually it's not helpful. And so we want to hold that tension. We want to do this together as a body of church family to, to use what the Lord has said. Here, here's some content. Here's some framing. Here's some words to give voice to what God put in your heart. And so I want to ask you to stand. No, actually, I'm going to ask you to sit because today we're going to go through it um, these are the congregational prayer slides, by the way. I don't want to confuse those guys. Um, I'm going to have you sit because we're going to let we're going to we're going to voice together each phrase from Luke's version, and then we're going to, if you want to bow your head, call, close your eyes. We're going to we're going to let that phrase sit because I, I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of times I have to pray until I pray. So. We're going to say this together. You don't need to stand. I would encourage you after we keep your eyes open so we say it together, but then close them. And just for a moment, consider what we've just said, what you've just said. Who is that that's our Father, etc.? Okay? So uh, here's our first one. Let's pray this together. Father, hallowed be your name. Lord, we thank you that you are our Father. Your name is to be hallowed, to, to be set apart, to be reverenced. You are to be feared. But also, Lord, you are to be seen as you are a Father who, in both Matthew and Luke, when we're invited to pray to you as our Father, that you are how much more, Father. We ask for one thing, and how much more do you provide? And so we just simply thank you for loving us as our Heavenly Father. Let's say the next one together. Your kingdom come. Pray that his kingdom might come in our world, but maybe more specifically pray that his reign, his rule would rule your heart this day. Lord, we just add the texture of Matthew's version of this. Your kingdom come and your will be done on our little patches of earth as it is in heaven. And the way it's 
done in heaven is without hesitation, without backtalk, without doubt, but with eagerness. So may we be eager for your will, your reign to be done in our hearts and on the patches of earth that we are on, that you've located us on. Next one. Give us each day our daily bread. As John and Nathan shared, perhaps we have more than we sometimes think. Let's just thank him for his daily provision. Lord, we do thank you for the ways that you provide our physical bread, the food that we, we need and, and you have given. But also, Lord, Jesus himself said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we want to acknowledge that. And just for a moment, would you pray for yourself? God, what do you want for me? What's my daily bread right now as we go through your word? And then would you pray for me that I might be helpful and not a hindrance to that? Next phrase. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Thank God for his grace, mercy, and seek his forgiveness if you need it at this moment. you tell us that you do not delight in offerings and sacrifices, either what they did back then or what we do today, but you delight in a broken and contrite heart, and that you will not despise that. So we ask, Lord, that it be the real us meeting with the real you, who is a God of grace and mercy. We thank you. We ask that you would create in us a clean heart, O oh God. And last phrase, and lead us not into temptation. Lord, we thank you, as Mike shared last week, you do not tempt any of us, but you do test us. You do, uh, as a father, take us through or allow in us what we need to go through so that um, you might make us more like your son. And so in those hard times, and, and each day nowadays seems hard, you, we're praying that you would help us keep our eyes fixed on you the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before you endured the cross so that we wouldn't grow weary or lose heart. We wouldn't give in to temptation. And Lord, our temptation, even as we open your word, would be to have been there, done that, or to um, tune out. We acknowledge how much we need you to give attention to your word. We, we need your spirit to open our eyes to the truth in your word, but also, Lord, to see ourselves in the reflection and the mirror that your word is. May we not just be hearers today. May we not be just hearers about prayer, but may we be those who begin again to hear your invitation, your call to commune and keep company with you, to come to you and ask whatever we want to ask, to be your children, but also, Lord, to simply enjoy you and to know life and life to the fullness and know rest that most of us when we're honest is not our daily deal so meet us in our restlessness meet us in our prayerlessness may this not be an exercise in guilt and shame because none of us is um, where we ought to be in one sense and yet we're exactly where you know we are and you're calling us to 
a greater dependence on you, a greater trust in you, a greater enjoyment of you. And out of that, Lord, may you be on display in our lives. And if you're on display in our lives, what's displayed is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We know that can't be of us, but of you. So we give ourselves to you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for doing that. Um, So my question as we move to the message today, and Lord, teach us to pray. Um, I want to kind of give you my subtitle to this, though it's not really the title, but Lord, teach us to pray like the son who has everything. Like your son who has everything. Because we're going to look at, last, last week Jesus gave us that frame. He gave us the disciples' prayer. Here's some ways to voice to me what I put in your heart. Here's the invitation to spew on me what's in your heart. But today we're going to look at the way Jesus prayed. We're going to look at what that looked like up close as the disciples. In fact, what we looked at last week is because they caught him praying. And they're like, we want to know God like you know God. We want to talk to God like you talk to God. And so that's where we're going to go today. But my question in the first slide is, how is 2023 um, starting off for you this year? How's it starting off? And when we get to the end of this year, how will you have wanted it to go. This is a great time of year to reflect. Brian mentioned the PLD. I would highly recommend you do that. It's very simple, but it's a way to go, Lord, I want to sit and say, where's my red dot? You remember in the mall, here's your red dot, here's where you are, and then where you're trying to go. It's a great time of year to do it. It's not pagan to reflect on the, the new year, okay? But how's it starting off, and how do you want it to end? And, and it's the eighth, right? So For some of us, it's already started off and then tapered off. Um, Or it has not gotten going and you feel behind. Some of us, we're filled with anticipation. Beginning of the year, it's new new possibilities and all that. And many of us, it's it's angst. We're, We're already pulled and strained. And we feel what we thought we would have punted with Christmas break. We feel the anxiousness feel the tenseness. We feel the irritability already camping, setting up camp in our hearts. How's it starting and how would you like it to end? And here's one thing I want to say as we go through this today, looking at how Jesus prayed and how you want, how it's starting or where it is right now or how you really hope this year goes, I can tell you, if you'll look at, at the end of the year, what you did on a daily, mundane, routine, rhythmic, nobody else saw way, will have a lot to do with what it looks like at the end of the year. In sports now, they really, I mean, coaches, like, they are all over this. We're going to go 1-0 and today, and we're going to go 1-0 and this week. We're going to stack. Anybody know what you say, what you do? You stack habits. We stack habits at practice, we stack habits at practice, and it doesn't guarantee a win, but you sure don't set yourself up to win if you don't stack the habits. You know, it's, uh, you also hear the, well, you can choose, do you wanna, you wanna have the hard now or the hard reg- uh, hardness of regret and loss and you didn't get anywhere later, that kind of idea. This isn't a pump you up motivational talk for New Year's. I'm just talking reality, that if you wanna know what, when you get to the end of the year and reflect back, if you want to know, well, how did I get here? You can just look at day-to-day, mundane, when nobody's looking. What are you giving your attention to? And what you give your attention to is what you'll begin to worship, and who or what we worship is what we will become. And because we are wanting to start, you're sitting here this morning because we want to become, as God intends, we want to become like him, Well, how did he stack his days? What did he do with his days? This son who is the eternal son of God, yet in the flesh and as a fully man, what did he do particularly with prayer? Lord, teach us to pray, not just the words, 
teach us as one we can watch and see so that we can begin to put that in to practice. That's what this message is about. My question is, well, then how are you starting each day and how are you ending it? Just like a year starting and ending. And if the end of the year is going to be how you started each day and then finished each day, my question is, how is it that you start? I don't mean attitudinally. I mean, what are you doing? The alarm goes off. This isn't guilt if you hit snooze. The, your feet hit the floor. You're beginning your day. How is your day beginning? I'm going to say this over and over again. This is not a guilt message. But if it is this, we're already, we're already putting ourselves at jeopardy for our day to actually go the way of the world than the way of Jesus. If we end our day with this, we're going to not sleep as well. You, you already know this. We all know this, right? And so as we ask him, Lord, teach us to pray, what we're really saying is teach us the way, and we're going to talk about this in the class, of practicing your witness on, on this day. Teach us your way of going through life. Teach us your way. How is it, Jesus, when you were in this situation that was like, man, it's a good, good times, and this situation where it was awful times and when it was threatening times, how is it that you were like this? Now, I know in a few years, because I'm getting older, I'm not going to be able to stand here without shaking. But if you think about it, Jesus, for his disciples, they saw certain things. They're like, whoa, who is this? right? They saw his power, but they also saw a power in his non-anxious presence everywhere he went. Maybe you're, you're Teflon sold, but often this, starting my day, ending my day with this, yes, you can read the Bible app on it. Yes, I understand that, but you get what I'm saying. This is going to lead me to the way of the world, which is often ending rather than it promised. Rest. You got that, you got that rejuvenation because you just got you just needed some time. Next thing you know, Candy Crush three hours later, it didn't lead to any rest. I know Candy Crush is kind of dated now. Whatever the I don't I got I just don't play the ball games anymore, whatever they are. They're all they all should be Tetris, right? That was the best one. But yeah. The, the way of the world, and, and I'm giving you actually a sneak preview of this entire year, preaching, practicing, where we're going to try to go and journey together as a church, and whereas we as elders and staff want to model, try to practice it ourselves, champion and equip us toward, is not just preaching good stuff. We're going to continue to preach the word, but we want to put it into practice. We want to practice the way of Jesus versus the way of the world, and versus the way of religion. We're not going to talk about that today, other than the way of religion tells you, that's right, get up, hardcore, you better perform and do your quiet time just right, and then God will owe you. That's also a lie. That's also exhausting and embittering. Okay, that's where we're trying to go. I want to give you two quotes with that, and then we're going to look at the way Jesus prayed. First of all, Andy Crouch Many of you um, don't know his name, but some of you are familiar. I think back in 2014, he wrote a book called TechWise Family. As technology, as social media, as it's all just wave after wave after wave, and like it's hitting us, and we're swimming in it, and we're drowning in it, he's like, man, how can we help families? And he would say, he's not anti-technology. He's just saying, it just shouldn't be the master of our lives. And how is it that we use it as, tool, as a tool rather than it using us and we become tools? I don't know if you can say that in church, but I just said it. Here's his quote. Again, think about how you begin your day and end your day. We are constantly being nudged by our devices. He has two in hand there. Toward a set of choices. The question is whether these choices are leading us to the life we actually want. And I would add, the question is whether they're leading us to the life that God has designed you to thrive in, to fl really flourish in. 
That's the question. And then Abba Anthony, even stranger guy to quote, he's one of those desert fathers who actually, as Christianity, I don't know if y'all, we were like a maverick, you know, rogue, like we were ragtag, but all of a sudden the world turned upside down because a bunch of people believed and lived it. And they followed the way. In fact, they were called the way. Maybe we should just change our name to that, the way. No, we can't do that until we're actually living it, okay? But these folks, now once Christianity got to a certain point and it was kind of the recognized official religion, what happened? The heart of it started to disappear. And some people said, I got to get back to what really matters. All of a sudden, just like us, they were playing church. Just like us, they had to just kind of keep feeding the monster. Now, not the monsters of our day, but the same idea. And they just said, we got to get away. This message, by the way, is not let's all become monks and monkesses. Is that a word? I don't know. Let's not all become monks. It's not going to be that. That's not what it is. But look, look at this quote. A time is coming when men and women will go mad. And when they see someone who is not, so he's talking about the world. They're going to go mad. And when they see someone who's not mad, they will attack him saying, you're mad. You are not like us. Man, I want that to be true of you and me. If you haven't noticed, our world is mad. And if you haven't noticed, that madness shows up on here a lot. Now, I ought to be on this some so I can know what's, I'm supposed to know the world. I'm supposed to be, you know, in the world, just not of it. But these folks, even back in Abba Anthony's time, he said, the day's coming when the world and the way of the world, people will be like, I don't like that you don't seem very anxious. I don't like that you, you know, don't want to be in 28 competitive kids sports at one time. I don't like that you're not driven to, you know, become a gazillionaire or a gigillionaire, that weird commercial. Whatever, the things of our world, the things our world clamors for that don't lead to rest, that don't lead to fulfillment and meaning, they know that and they're restless and they just want everybody else to remain restless too because honestly, I can get on this and go, well, your world looks like it's kind of an upheaval. I feel better about myself. I know I'm kind of like, you're going, what in the world, fire hydrant buddy? This is our world. Our world is mad, and our world is not at rest. And most of us started, whether we vocalize it or not, I'd love 2023 to begin, God to begin to help me reconnect with him, find rest, be re reacquainted with purpose and meaning, and be about something of substance. Something to that effect. Why do I know that? Because God made you and me that way. And that's why the great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So everything about us being devoted to him and in honor of him and hallowing him is exactly what personhood and life is. So anything that's competing with that, that's drawing me away, that's distracting me, is something to watch out for. All that to say, you can throw the next one up here. As we're looking through, as we're going through, Lord, teach us to pray. We're going to go through biblical passages. We're going to go through several of them today, kind of quick. Next week, we're going to slow down and camp and say, what's our attitude and our posture as we come to prayer? We're going to see a portrait in Luke 18. And then we're going to go, you know, what's it look like? What are we supposed to add? I don't want to misbehave. God, God would say, like, don't worry about misbehaving. Just talk to me. You can spout all you want, and I'll let you know. You know, I'll help you out. <clears throat> and then lastly, we're going to look at his garden and, and cross prayers as he gets to the end of his life. That's where we're going because the way of Jesus is greater than, that's what that sign is, the way of Jesus is greater than the way of the world. What do I mean by that? It's greater because he's greater, but also the habit of being with him and following him in his ways, the outcomes that he says will be ours, they may not be 
tangible all the time. They may not be, they're not like, okay, I did this formula, here we go. But the way of Jesus is greater than the way of the world and the way of religion. The other two have a lot of promise, but they will exhaust and cause restlessness and anxiety that most of us wake up every day feeling. And so will we, will we feed the worry? Will we feed the, the flurry and, you know, hey, I'm getting somewhere? Or will we say, Lord, teach us to pray? That's what I want us to look at today. Luke 5, turn there in your Bibles, Luke 5, 15 to 16. <coughs> this is going to be such a simple outline because we're going to look at the way Jesus prayed. If you're concerned here and you're like, oh, wait, now you're just giving Jesus as an as a example and they're like, there's no gospel. and there's, No, this is based on the person of Jesus and what he's done. And because he's purchased you and me, therefore, we need to begin again to own his ownership of us as Lord. And he calls us to follow him which means to follow his ways and to live in such a way to honor him. That's where we are going. Because often we can say, oh, let's not make Jesus an example. No, he is. He's our champion, the author and perfecter of faith, the one who goes before us. And so that prayer I said we prayed is because they caught him. Lord, teach us to pray. And prayer, like most activities, is better caught than taught. And we learn to pray by seeing and hearing it modeled, like we're gonna see, like I hope our kids are seeing in us parents or grandparents. And then trying it out ourselves. That's how we learn to pray. Luke 5, 15 and 16. But the news about him was spreading even farther and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Just notice, but. So the news was spreading even farther. The crowds are amassing to get, and they're gathering to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself, when he says Jesus himself, it's... Like, personally, he goes to show up. It's emphasizing that. He would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Here's my simple outline. When did Jesus pray? How and where did Jesus pray? And why did he pray? Next slide. When? Well, if you look back at verse 15, it says the news about him was spreading even farther. Large crowds were gathering to hear him, to be healed of their sicknesses. He had just, in Luke's account, had uh, just had the miraculous catch, and Peter falls down. I'm a sinful man. He said, follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. Then he heals the leper in Luke's account. And right after this, he's going to heal the paralytic. He's healing lots of folks. They've never seen or heard someone teach like him, and the crowds are growing and growing and growing. When is he praying? When the crowds are growing. When life is good. He says, but. But Jesus would, would withdraw from that. We'll see it in, uh, again in just a minute. But what we would expect and what we would do is like, man, this thing is taking off. I need to hire a mediator. I mean, a marketing director and a social media director. I need to be getting on the circuit. I mean, this ministry's going somewhere, Jesus. Let's do it. And again, he would often withdraw. In fact, we're going to look at, Mike mentioned it last week from Mark 1. Uh, the next slide is Luke 4. This is Luke's version of Mark 1. <laughs> When he had been healing, um, and it was kind of an all day and end of the night deal, people were lining up. He's healing them of sicknesses, casting out demons. And the next morning, they can't find him. And they're like, what in the world? Where are you? Let's go. The movement is here. Let's, let's ride the wow wave, Jesus. I want you to hear that because it's at that moment, Jesus resolved, decided, 
And it sounds like it was a habit and a custom, would often withdraw. He would get to the quiet, to the secluded. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him. And they came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Next slide. Not only was it in times of the crowds swelling and popularity, where we'd be like, man, life's good. Let's keep this going. I mean, who needs to pray? I must be prayed up. Look, what's happening? He also prayed, he got away to pray, but also in times of conflict and crisis. This is Luke 6, 11 through 13. The account right before this is another time when he and the religious leaders get into it, or they get into it with him, because he has healed the man with a withered hand on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And Luke 6, 11 says the result of him doing that, they were like, that's it. You can see this in Mark 3, 6 as well. But they themselves were filled with rage, discussed together what they might do to Jesus. It was at this time. When did Jesus pray? It was at this time when things were brought to a boil, when it's conflict and crisis. Maybe he could have even taken that bad boy into his own hands and dealt with them in their rage. But it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Next slide. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. It was at that time that he chose out of his disciples 12 who would become his sent ones. Don't miss any of that. But not only when, when the crowds were gathering and we'd be like, we'd be tempted toward, I can put prayer on the side. He, he prayed. When the crisis and the conflict was at a boil, he went to the mountain and prayed all night. Again, none of this is a prescription for you and for me. This isn't, now go find a mountain because this is in the flat DFW area. Go, go find a hill and go pray all night. That's not the lesson. But it's when we may be tempted in crowds to kind of forget God or in crisis to kind of say, I don't know if I can trust you, God. I'm gonna handle this baby myself. Jesus both times in both instances, gets away. Look at Luke 9, 18 and 28. It happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. That's strange. He was alone, but they were with him. Did they come up on him? Was he with them? And he kind of moved over to the side. We don't know. And he questioned, who do the people say that I am? Then drop down to 28. Eight days after this, he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And that's the Mount of Transfiguration. He let those guys in on Here's what it looks like to pray. I'm going to probably let them try a little praying. I mean, they'd pray. They grew up Jewish. They prayed. But in terms, they'd never heard someone pray like him. They'd never seen that ease with which he voiced or that ease with which he was just in silence. So he was alone, but he also took the disciples with him. The next one, Luke 11:1. 1, we already saw that. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. They ask him, teach us to pray. And then the last one in the garden, he came out and he proceeded as was his custom. When did he pray? Customarily, often, habitually, rhythmically. It's custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the, the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And even then, he withdrew a little bit away from them to be alone a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray. When did he pray? Last slide there. When there were crowds, high times, and we would be tempted to ride the, the wow wave, conflict or crisis, we'd, be, we'd tend to pull in sort of that worry wave hitting us again and again. He says, no, I'm going to get with my father. I'm going to get with my father. When did he pray? Often. It was his habit. Now, I said at the beginning, Lord, teach us to pray like the son who has everything. It is not wrong to ask God for anything. We're going to talk about that. God invites it. So this isn't about, you should be embarrassed about all the things you just ask God and you to barely praise him. No. Just like you dads and moms invite your kids just to tell you what's really going on, he invites it. 
But the son who has every, he's the son of God, completely perfect, righteous, secure. He doesn't have hidden sins like we do. He doesn't have shame to, why, you know, we're gonna get to the why, but there's something about if he has a rhythm and a habit and a hunger to get with his father, how much more do I have that need? Again, I said, I'm said a lot. This is not a guilt sermon. My aim in this sermon is to stir the appetites God has already put in you if you belong to him, to hunger for him, to thirst for him, and to recognize that if I'm feeling hungry or thirsty, maybe not like physical food or water way, but there's that restlessness within me, maybe that's an indicator to remember the invitation, come back to me, get with me, unload it on me. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. How much more would it be a good thing for me? Again, not a prescription. To get in a habit, to have a rhythm of, I begin my day with you. I end my day with you. And like a rock skipping on the lake. that I have competitions with my boys on and I, I can't win anymore. <laughs> it's sad. But that kind of rhythm throughout a day of practicing the God who is already with you and to recognize that some of those things that get me so worked up or that sense of restlessness actually may be an indicator. Come back to me. That my restlessness could be letting me know that there's a prayerlessness or that I'm coming to prayer, but it's actually just check a box. Now, Honestly, we are helped by cultivating a habit, which might mean a box for you, might not. So you can check. But the whole point would be to show up and see what God would do. To show up and say, God, I need you. When did he pray? Crowds, crisis, but he prayed often. How and where? Um, we saw it in the verses already. He was withdrawing. He was secluded. He got secluded. He got in the secret. Matthew 6, he talks about Hey, when you're praying in public, watch out. Now, I had one time at another church, I felt for him because I think in the moment he got lost because he also taught us some really bad stuff right up front. And he said, hey, now I know we're not really supposed to pray in public because we're supposed to go into our closet. And I was like, ooh, well-intentioned, but now we're way off. God doesn't, we, we, we're called to pray publicly, pray together, okay? But the point in Matthew 6 is, don't let it be so that you can get the applause of men. Don't be so that they can think, man, he appears, she appears, I have really have it together. They really know God, okay? We are to pray together. But he says, but when you do pray, or maybe before you pray in publicly, let's make sure we're getting in private, in our closet, figuratively, or you can pray in a closet, or on a mountain, or on a walk, but getting to a place where, and he says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He'll reward you with the richness of being in his presence in that moment. It may also include eternal reward, but the idea is to get to the secret place because power and ministry, the ability to go through life, crowds or crisis like this, that's power, spiritual power. And that often is visible in public or at least with our family or friends or coworkers or whatever. That power in any kind of public way comes from private time in the secret place. Comes from getting alone with our Father, just as Jesus did. It was undistracted. Man, are we distracted people. It was early. It was late. It was in the wilderness. I'm actually going to show you a couple of pictures. It could have been at Mount Arbel. Could have been the Mount of Olives. This is Mount Arbel, uh, our 2018 trip to Israel. Uh, some folks from our church went. Um, there's JD giving a devotional on that mount. They believe that this was at least one of the places that's the mount that Jesus would go to pray. We don't know for sure, but this overlooks. That's the Sea of Galilee, and this, some of us, after JD gave a devotional, we all went out and spent time alone with God. Let me tell you, I like to use the word visceral a lot. There's a visceral response when you're in a place where you're like, I don't know if Jesus prayed here or not, but I can tell why. The view, you get up and you get perspective. There's nobody coming up there unless they really want to work to get up that mount. 
And he went early and often, and he got away. And this is one of the places, potentially, that he went. Also, we saw in the other passage, the Mount of Olives. It was across from where the Temple Mount was, then a Mount of Olives, and lots of places to get away, to get quiet. So that's how and that's where Jesus prayed. I just want to say personally for me, I would ask you, do you have a place? It's like I mentioned earlier, sometimes we have so many options. Well, I could go here, I could go to Starbucks, or I could go like... And all of a sudden we just, well, I'm out of time now. I thought of all my options. I didn't do it. It's almost helpful to go, here's my chair. Here's my walk. Here, maybe you do have a little hill. Or here's my Lake Lavon. Okay. Again, you can't do this necessarily on a daily basis. It doesn't say Jesus went to the mountain every single day. It doesn't. But he had a habit, a custom of getting away. For me, I have a couple places. If you want to know my primary, primary place, of getting with the Lord is actually my journal. No matter where I am, I write out my prayers and I spew, Lord, I don't really feel like praying today. I, I kind of got a bad at it, you know, <laughs> but I'm here. And hopefully, not always, but hopefully by the end of that, God's kind of gotten a hold of me, shaking a little bit of my bad attitude, giving me grace and mercy. But I have a, a chair in our front room in our house. I have a chair in the corner of my office and I have a walk that sadly our, our, our dog Zeke died, but I for six years, walked pretty much the same kind of walks. God gave me so many great times just to get outside. And I will say that, again, not prescription, but there's something about us not being just inside, comfortable in lights, and looking at a screen, but just get out. Get outside. That's how and where, why. This is how we end. Why? Why in the world would the Son of God pray? He, does he need to? I mean, he's God. Well, he would often withdraw to pray because he wanted to commune with his Father and the Spirit to enjoy fellowship. And there were never hidden agendas. There was never like one of the three kind of having a passive-aggressive moment toward the other two, but perfect, loving community in the Trinity. He got away to get with God, and he would emerge from those times like this, strengthened by God's love with reaffirmation of his identity and a renewed clarity and courage for his calling. That's why in that Matthew, uh, Mark, excuse me, Luke 4 and Mark 1 passage, he'd been away. They found him like, man, ministry's going great. The crowds are swelling. He goes, no, God's clarified for me. Yes, I came to do that, but that's not my, deal, my main deal. It's now time to move on. You can only say that kind of no to something so awesome if, if, if you've gotten with God and you know you've put your yes on the table and he said, now here's what it's going to look like and here's where it's going to be. And here's where it's going to be now. And there's, there's a tremendous, going back to that quote about being mad, there's a tremendous maddening effect on those who are chasing everything under the sun and everything the world tells them when they see you saying, no, I, I, this is what I'm going to do. I don't, I don't mean, you know, be kind of a patoot about it. I just mean there's a security in his identity. Often he would hear, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased reaffirming the love that he has. You're well-pleasing to me. To rehearse the gospel with our, to ourselves that you are a son or a daughter of God. That I did this a couple times this week. That Because of that, because you're in Christ Jesus, therefore there's no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That I'm convinced that neither death nor life or angels, nor principalities, or that thing burying you in worry this week will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if he, we sang it, if, if he did all this by giving up his son for you, how will he not freely give you all things that you need in that moment to live this way? Not to be impressive, but because you have been with him. Again, we're going to talk about asking, not wrong to ask God for things, but Jesus didn't go to God to get things. He went to get God. 
And that's the invitation to you and me. To get him more than getting things. And the son who has everything, the reason why he prayed and the way he got away was communing with his father, having his identity reaffirmed and his clarity and courage of his calling um, brought forth and renewed. Psalm 63 This is what I want, I desire for you and for me. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly, and literally it's early. That's not prescriptive, but there's something about being first. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Let me say this. When I'm having seasons of prayerlessness, I hunger and I thirst and I often mistakenly think what I really need is to get this situation in order. What I really need is this person to behave in a better way over here. But really what's an indicator of is that God made me to hunger and made you to hunger and thirst for him, to know him and be known by him. Yes, ours is a dry and weary land where there's no water. There's lots of substitutes. But he says, come to me and have rest. John Ortberg says, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Jesus was never in a hurry. He maddened his disciples because of that. He says, this does not mean we'll never be busy. Jesus often had much to do, but he never did it in a way that severed the life-giving connection between him and his father. Larry Crabb says, Christ's relationship with his father was the thriving passion behind every request he made. Relationship preceded petition. His life is a profound demonstration of this, that getting God is worth infinitely more than getting things we want from God. Alba Anthony, I pray that by the end of this year, that God will have done a renewing work in each of us as he helped us set up those rhythms of renewal. As, he, as we encourage one another, we pray for one another, and, and, and you hear his invitation even loudly, some of you perhaps are in a place where he's like, this is the only thing I've been wanting you to hear is get away with me. Let's start anew. I want that to be by the end of this year that we madden some people. Again, it's not about how they see us or don't, don't get that. It's really just because what I want for you and for me is the fruit of the spirit, which comes from only one source. And I have to get to that source. Maybe you're better in this way. But I can't get there starting here and ending here. I can't get there by scurrying around. I have to, I have to get there in order to get there so that I can pray until I pray. And so that God can get me, the real me, showing up the real him, that I might get him and more of him. I'm going to have you stand as we seek to practice the way of prayer. Worship team, you can come up. You're going to just sing us out. But Douglas McKelvey uh, has a devotional, I believe it is, Every Moment Holy. We're just going to, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a minute. And then we're going to say this prayer out loud. Would you bow your head, close your eyes? Father, I don't know what was prayed earlier from each person. If they, if they prayed, that what do you have for me today? But I pray that whatever it is, it would be at least your spirit stirring in each of us the hunger and the thirst that you put in us to have that can only be satisfied when we get with you undistracted. I pray that there not be, um, the enemy would not whisper like, see, this is all about performance and, and being guilted and shame. Lord, I pray against that and pray that hearts might be softened toward you, that your mercies that were new this morning would be so that we might hear how much you desire for us to come to you, the source of living And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in moments that nobody else ever sees. And as we come to you, that you are our Heavenly Father who knows where we're going, knows what worries us, 
knows what tempts us, yet you still invite us in because we're in Christ and that you who see us and see our real hearts in secret, you will reward us when we come by faith. And as we pray often, we believe, help our unbelief. In Jesus' name. We're gonna pray this as two slides. And this is really a prayer to, I hope, carry you into tomorrow morning or maybe as you go to bed tonight. Let's pray this. Meet me, O Christ, in the stillness of morning. Move me, O Spirit, to quiet my heart. Mend me, O Father, from yesterday's harms. From the discords of yesterday, resurrect my peace. From the discouragement of yesterday, resurrect my hope. From the weariness of yesterday, resurrect my strength. From the doubts of yesterday, resurrect my faith. From the wounds of yesterday, resurrect my love. Let me enter this new day aware of my need and awake to your grace, O Lord. Amen. They're going to lead us in the chorus, and then I'll say one thing as we leave. Our Father. Simply, Brian mentioned it, but on Wednesday night, adults, we're going to do two weeks, and all it is really is kind of prime the pump for you. If this is something God's put on your heart, like, yeah, I desire that, just get together with us um, this Wednesday night. We do need you to sign up so we can have the materials ready for you, but I look so forward to it because, honestly, we can preach about prayer, but, uh, and this isn't just going to be on prayer, but just to get with God. How can we begin to cultivate some rhythms to be with God in his word and in prayer so that he might be glorified, not just in a song now, but in our lives as we leave. Have a great week.